Hi, this is Dan Payne, and you're listening to Rugga Matrix USA. Yes, you are, Dan. Dan Payne from Life University and the American Eagles skills coach for the contact area. Hello, I'm your host, Juro Sen. Welcome to episode 015 of Rugger Matrix USA. Joined always by my co-host, Bruce McLean from New York City. Yes, hello and welcome to episode 15 of Rugger Matrix. Bruce McLean, hello to you. Hey, Gerald, how you doing? Great show we got lined up and... There's been a lot of great things that have been happening in rugby over the past week and some new developments. We have an, a wonderful guest in Dan Payne, the USA, uh, USA skills coach, basically coaches the contact area for the United States, one of the most important areas in the game. And he's currently the coach of Life University, who is unique in that they have a undergraduate side and a, and a men's team side through it. And, and we'll get into a little bit about what, the, what their plans are in the future. But this week in the Super League, big week, uh, Boston Rugby Club showed that showed their medal and beat the Boston Irish 25-20 to 20 at the Boston Irish. Although it's a, a local rivalry, you always expect those games to be pretty tight. Dan's team life really gave Charlotte a touching up 46-13, and they did that on the road, got a bonus point, very big for them. Old Blue New York went down on the road and beat Pack 30-12. to 12. So that was a big win for Old Blue, and it really was important for them to stay in the playoff hunt. Denver Barbarians let Dallas Holoquins have it with a 27-5 win in, uh, in Denver, and that that's kind of puts a kibosh on the Dallas season. Puget Sound with the surprise of the weekend, no doubt, 34-12 to over the Chicago Lions. I would have expected a, a tight game, but I certainly was not going to expect Puget Sound to wipe the Lions, wipe the floor with the Lions. That is, that is a, that's a big game. San Francisco Golden Gate still holding true to form, 58 to 12 over Chicago Griffins. So we're going to find out who all these teams are. Currently, Life and the AC are tied at first place in the Eastern Conference with Boston and Old Blue pulling up. I think the Old Blue Charlotte game is going to be a big game to find out who's who. Boston Irish and Pack, I, I I don't really foresee really any uh, any opportunity of either of those two teams making the playoffs. So you're kind of looking five teams for four spots. Out West, Puget Sound is 3-0, 14 points. They still haven't played Golden Gate. They still haven't played Denver. And they still haven't played uh, Chicago Griffins. So... That's gonna be that's gonna be the real telling point. Can they get a win out of any of those games? I don't know if they can. I I certainly don't think they could beat uh I don't think they could beat Golden Gate. But we'll find we'll find out what's going on. I'm back and Dallas Holoquins, it kinda looks like they're out of the running. And the Chicago Lions, they have a uh Chicago Lions have a have a big game in store right now because this weekend this weekend we're off for Easter. But on April 10th, the Chicago Lions have to play Denver Barbarians, and they have to win that game or they're out. And then essentially it's just going to be playing for seeding in the western western side of the bracket. Now, there's been some massive stuff that's been happening in the college game. Penn State University has won the Marfu Championship, and Delaware came in second. That leaves Navy and Kutztown, two really very good teams, out of the Sweet 16 in the – in the western United States, Texas A&M beat LSU in a barn burner, but both of them are going to be able to make the Sweet 16. And um, 
then we had then we had th- those were really the big games and, and Utah beat BYU in a friendly and seen by 4,000 people at Rio Tinto Park now going through we'll see the, the, how, how the brackets are going to break down BYU is going to play Delaware in Pool A Syracuse is going to play Arizona so I'm looking at BYU coming out of that relatively easily it's a matter of which of those teams is going to win the second game uh, Tennessee against Army, Texas A&M against Utah. This is that's going to be a very, very interesting pool. Uh, I you can't really tell who's going to win. I, you know, the, the Army's Army's been showing good signs. Utah's been showing good signs. Tennessee shows good signs, and so does A&M. So we'll have to see who comes out of that. Dan's old school, San Diego State University, is playing Bowling Green in Pool C, and probably St. Mary's College, although it might be Davis is going to play Arkansas State. Again, that's a that's a tough bracket to pick. Arkansas State is quite good. I saw San Diego State play Cal. They're pretty good. And St. Mary's has has gotten some of their injured players back, so they're, they're showing to be pretty strong. They I think they lost 41-31 to 31 to UVic this weekend, and UVic has five capped senior uh, – they have capped, capped Canadian players. So that was pretty good showing by them. In Pool B, Penn State plays LSU, the Western 2 seed, and Cal plays Southern Cal 3, who I don't know that's going to be, probably Cal Poly or Arizona State or something. Um, not not particularly sure exactly who that's going to be. Kind of a, what a political scam to get that, that seed anyway uh, to the Southern Cal Union. Uh, I think Cal's going to come out of that bracket relatively comfortably. It's just going to be a matter of who wins Penn State or LSU. And and then uh, see if anybody can win the final eight game. But without further ado, let's bring our guest in and see if he agrees with what I'm talking about. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing great, Bruce. How are you? I'm okay. How's the weather treating <laughs> you down there in Atlanta? Hot it's Atlanta. Perfect. Well, it's perfect today. It's uh, it's uh, about 70 degrees out. Sunny. It's, it's beautiful. Now, can I get it on the record uh, on the show? Uh, you guys are competitive coaches. How do you get on with Bruce Dan? <laughs> That's kind of a loaded question. How does anyone get on with Bruce? But we get along great. I mean, we spoke quite frequently uh, from from time to time on a variety of matters, even before uh, I joined a Super League club. But even now, we speak at least once a week and talk about a variety of things. Can we uh, quickly ask you... Um... As we've gone three weeks into the competition, how are you adjusting to the uh, new law interpretations, which the rest of the world is slowly getting used to? Been in vogue for about seven to eight weeks now in in the southern hemisphere. Uh, I think it's uh, it's pretty fluid. You know, in the first couple of weeks, everyone was changing quite a bit, especially around the tackle contest. Obviously, um, you know, and it's it's. I think as the the officials adjust to it and find some consistency so do the the coaches and the players i think that we are adjusting to it but i am I'm, I'm not i'm not saying that it's a pretty fluid adjustment that's for sure I, I think that there i definitely think that there are issues that we need to deal with but um i'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what sorry i'll tell you what's having a really good impact now players are forced to retreat uh, when the kick goes up that that is now becoming even more important and getting cleaning you know, up our you know game. what you know, you, you know what, Juro, that, that is, that's a big factor in, in the Super 14 games and in the, and in the professional games. Most of the teams in the United States don't have a particularly good kicking game. Dan's, Dan's club happens to be a team that does have a good kicking game, and they are relatively disciplined about that. But the teams don't have that the, the kind of people who can – there's not two or three or four guys 
who can hoof the ball downfield. There's generally one, and generally he doesn't do it all that well. So that hasn't that really hasn't come into play that much in our games. Uh, it just because and, and, the quality and it, of the kicking, yeah. the quality of the kicking is is just not there. Yeah, and uh, and I agree to you uh, with you to a certain extent, but some of the kicking teams aren't that good either in the Super 14. However, uh, it took a number of weeks for that to come into vogue. We've only seen in the last couple of weeks where that particular law interpretation has really started to, to make an impact. So I don't know, Dan, maybe in the next 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 period of time or maybe even next season it'll take until uh, that becomes uh, a pretty important part of the game because it, it really is starting to have an impact now. It's st- starting to clear the decks. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and it's kind of, as Bruce said, you know, it's, it's not as much a big as much an aspect of our game, but the, the the big point of concern or area of emphasis has been around the tackle contest. At least the majority of the discussions that we've been involved with with, with the officials and the refs and coach to coach discussions, um, because we we're trying to grasp it ourselves so that we can then prepare our players um, with a consistent message. And I think now we're kind of flushing it out finally and figuring out what is and what isn't acceptable. We had Richard Every on last week. Are you happy with the um, interpretation, feedback, and the information flow that you're getting from up top? Yeah, you know, I think, um, and, and ironically, I spoke to a couple of coaches about this yesterday. What we're really pleased with is is the um, the proactive communication. Some of the communication, especially initially, was a little bit conflicting. Um, and like I said, we had to flush that out a bit. But the approach and the the attempt at communicating and having a two-way street of questions and answers has been phenomenal. Um, Richard's done a great job at that, um, at pushing that through and answering questions as they arise from the coaches. And I, I think not only Richard has done a good job with it, I think the evaluators have done a good job. I think the referees themselves have done a good job. And also the coaches have done a good job. The coaches have, have taken to trying to coach the game fairly and trying to coach the game within the laws. So I think that that's a uh, I think that's something that we can look for going forward as, as becoming better and better. And I, and I think also that when we had spoken to Hodges, they put all those games on the uh, they put all the games on video. So you get to see exactly what's happening. And, 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 and it's not like a he said, she said kind of thing. You 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 look at things from a videotape perspective. Now, sometimes things come through where there's comments made that. I don't necessarily agree with them. Sometimes Dan wouldn't agree with them. You know, nobody's going to agree with everything. And and I think that some of those were 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 sent out and said like this is clear as day when in fact it wasn't. And I think that that's going to have to change. Like things that are clear as day should be unequivocally clear as day. Things that are conjecture or or something someone's opinion that can could have gone either way. I think that that's I think that's a little bit different. I think that we're we're going to have to Week to week, we get a bunch of clips as to how the referees were doing. I think that we're going to have to figure out exactly how to make those better. I don't think those are up to 100% standard yet. Not in my book anyway. I don't know how you feel about that, Dan, but I think that they're good. I think it's, as you said, the communication is a good step, but I certainly don't think they're 100% accurate. And I, and I wouldn't say that they, sometimes things are said, this is the way it is, and I don't necessarily agree with those calls that are being questioned. Yeah, you know what? Um... I'd agree with you. I don't think that, uh, you know, I think some of the stuff that the the refs are trying to, to ascertain what they are supposed to see as well. I'm not sure that they all have the same 
interpretation of it, but there were words that, you know, um, and it's like everything, you're never, you're never going to agree 100% with any official's interpretation, but if you get a rationalized explanation that, that makes sense and, and what they say they saw and why they saw that, you know, I think that's all you can ask for. Dan, thanks for that. And, you know, I, we are, you know, there's always going to be issues with the referees that we have to talk through. And I think that a lot of it has to do with the assistant referees and, and how and how they're working with the referees. I don't know if they got that one right yet. So we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that at a later date. One of the things we wanted to talk about is that you coach a university side, you coach a Super League side, and then you coach another team that, that you basically run – you're basically running teams in two competitions. And I want to talk to you about how do you handle that? How does it how does it go through? How do you run your practices? How do you structure everything in terms of making it efficient and getting everybody a proper amount of rugby? Well, um, it's juggling a lot of plates sometimes. But, uh, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is that you know, I, I try to work and, and manage, in essence, I have a, a great group of people that uh, work right alongside me and, you know, do do a lot of the, the heavy lifting, so to speak. Um, uh, you know, we having having really two sides, three different sides this year, but the majority of our Division One men's side, our undergraduate team that will move into a full undergraduate competition next year. Um, and then obviously you have the Super League side. There's there's some difficulties, especially in the beginning of the year when you're doing a lot of skill-based um, work and things where you have everybody together because there's such a, a disparity in skill level sometimes. Um, you know, But now as we've moved towards really having two and three separate teams specifically, um, it's gotten a bit easier because you can, you can focus practice into what team needs more specifically. Um, but... You know, in essence, what we do is Monday night is is normally just a a skills a skills night, and um, and we we will separate the teams right off the bat, and separate do a lot of units work and and things along those lines where we have a a scrum coach, and, and then we also have um, you know backs coach and forwards coach for each team, and they'll break each team up in in kind of approach the area of skill work that they need. Um, on Monday, and then Tuesday we'll we'll stay split. Hey, we practice with just the undergrads. Um, they they practice four times a week. The Super League team gets three training in, tra- trainings in a week. Um, and then Thursday is pretty much typical to everybody's you know Thursday practice where it's completely prepping for Saturday's contest. Um, but you know we have a lot as we've as we've become a little bit more. Um, organized is into who falls into what category from the team's perspective. You know, Scott Lawrence, who's really been instrumental in building the, the program up to where it is currently over the, the last four and five years, is is primarily the Super League coach. He, he handles most of the day-to-day stuff with the Super League, um, and I'm moving more towards putting a lot of my energy and time into uh, the undergraduate side, and that, that will be a split next year where – um, you know, I will focus the majority of my time with the undergraduate team and still oversee the program as a whole. But you know, there will be a Super League coach in addition. So, does that help? I hope. 
No, it, it, that actually helps tremendously. Who are the Super League? Who, who who are your assistant coaches, or who are the coaches that you coach with? Um, I, I know you have Scott. I don't know if Jason's still there or if Barford is still there. I was just wondering. Yeah. I, I you know just like to give people credit and just let sure. some people know exactly who's running the Life University program with you. Yep, um, that's a great question, and to mention their names earlier because they deserve a lot of credit. Uh, we actually have uh, James Isaacson, who had played um, Premiership Rugby over in, in Doncaster and, and at Leeds for a bit, is our, our scrum coach. He's actually here on a um, uh, attending chiropractic school. He's in his first year, but he handles all of our scrum coaching and does a lot of the forwards work. Um, of uh, Kelly Hilton Green, who I don't know if you know Kelly Bruce, but he's a long-standing member of the Life Club. He works with the backs play the um, Super League backs. Uh, ben Jones, who's a, a former member of the England Sevens national team and was also a halfback at Doncaster, works a lot as our skills skills coach. And that could be, you know, that's obviously all-encompassing. He works all across the board with all of our sides. And then uh, we have um, Alex Hauser, who is a backs coach for the undergraduate team. Who Alex played for three years at Cal and is just finishing up his schooling here. Um, this year, so we've got another year year for him, um, you know. And then we have a strength and conditioning coach that oversees that aspect of the team, which is Chris Queso. And I, Chris Queso is actually from from New York originally, and is down here finishing up his master's in sports science. So you can see we have a lot of different people, um, and the the challenge is just you know staying organized and letting each person control their area, and ultimately the program benefits. So what the hell do you do? <laughs> yeah, that's um, a good question. I I uh, <laughs> watch a lot of video on uh, YouTube, you know, things like that. No, I um, <laughs> so does Bruce. Know, I, I, what's that? So does Bruce. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't necessarily watch a lot of tube, but I watch a lot of you something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh dear. All right. Yeah. So we. You guys all know what I'm talking about, so hey. <laughs> Uh, fair enough. Keep going. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> no, that's fine. I mean, I, I, I can, I, you know, I, I bounce around. I wear a lot of different hats. Um, you know, it can be from sometimes you catch me, you know, I do everything every other coach does from lining the field to we're, we're renovating a locker room right now to watching film with specific players and practice planning and, you know, do, do everything that we all do in, in uh, rugby in America. So, you know, I kind of Dan. I was bounce. Dan. I was Dan. I was only breaking your chops there. Um, <laughs> and let, let's talk about one one of the major things that you do do on top of coaching the team and 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 organizing all, all of these different people to do different things and scheduling everything and and also making sure that your trademark is put on the team. I do know that you coach the team. I'm just messing with you. The <laughs> one of the things you, one of the things you do is recruit, and you're recruiting for as you had said before the a very specific purpose in the undergraduate program. Obviously, you recruit a little bit for the Super League, but most of the time, that you know, you, you just you try to talk to guys about your program. You need they fit in or they don't, and they're going to come or they're not. It, it's not a whole lot you can do about that. But for the undergraduate program, it's a sell, and you have to sell Life University, and you have to sell the fact that there's talk of a collegiate Super League or a collegiate premier competition being put into place for next spring. There's talk of people being involved in that, 
we don't necessarily neither one of us have all of the details you probably have more but probably can't say what you need to say right now your hope is to be involved in that competition and could you talk to us a bit about the life university what your what your vision is you what you see Dan Payne, I'm the director of Rugby at Life University. This is what I see going forward from an undergraduate perspective. Leave the Super League out of it. Or you could say that that's something that you you know, you know, build and then they grow and graduate oh, and play for the Super League side. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, my passion is is in collegiate rugby. And that's, you know, obviously rugby as a whole, but I, I'm specifically interested in collegiate rugby. And I think there's a huge opportunity within our country to help continue to grow the game. Um, with through college athletics, um, here it's a pretty unique situation in that we get a large amount of support because of the history within the university from the men's club team um, as they've begun to enact initiatives to grow the overall size of the undergraduate university. Um, you know, they they saw a specific fit with you know having a, a brand name athletic program or a, a you know a brand sport in rugby. Um, and, you know, they kind of decided that they were just going to go with that versus uh, work into other areas where they might have to start from scratch. So it's a unique opportunity. Um, but I, I really, you know, see that we want to develop a program here that can compete um, with the elite programs in the country. Uh, you know, and, and that's, that's something that we're working to do now. We have a great recruiting class that's already started to come in next year. We have a great group of undergraduate athletes, athletes here currently. But we have a long way to go to get up to with the elite teams that have been doing it year in and year out. Um, you know, but it's exciting from the standpoint that when we see the types of athletes that are graduating um, through the high school rugby programs now, um, and that are graduating from other athletic programs, um, you know, that might be what we call crossover athletes. You know, the, the level of athleticism, I think, is growing year in and year out. Um, so that's exciting. The university allows us to be able to identify those athletes that might be able to help us reach our goal, and they support us um, in, in giving us what we need to be able to try to build a program. So I'm excited for that. Dan, you say that, you say that you're not there yet with the elite programs. And I, 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 I guess that you're really talking about Cal at that point, but the, the life university undergraduate program has some pretty good scalps. When we were down there last year with the athletic club, I, I think that life university undergrads beat Ohio state 90 to three or something, something insane like that. So you do have a couple scalps along the way, as far as D one clubs and, um, and premier clubs. You recently beat Army. You recently beat Kutztown, who are all very good collegiate programs. Although they're not Cal Berkeley, they're still very good collegiate programs. Army went to the to the Big Four last year. Kutztown is always a very difficult team to play. And, you know, I, I just I have to say, and what D1 scalps do you have? Or do you have any other college scalps? Or were there any close college games that the undergrads lost? Have you lost an undergraduate game yet? Mm -hmm. No, we haven't. Um, you know, where we've where we've fully competed with an undergraduate team, we we haven't yet. Um, you know, but uh, we've played some very good teams. I mean, I'm I'm very happy with our guys. Our guys are training and, and competing at a high level. You know, I just think that it's no discredit, obviously, to Kutztown or to Army. They have tremendous teams, and they've done it year out, week after week. 
You know, I don't think that we deserve the right to be able to win two or three games and and consider ourselves to be amongst that caliber of program yet. We have we have a ways to go to to be able to justify putting ourselves in the same sentence and paragraph with some of those those programs. Um, that's the goal. Uh, but you know, one win doesn't doesn't build a program. So. I mean, you're absolutely correct in what you say. I mean, you can't put them, put in, put it in terms of the program. Those programs have been around for, you know, decades and have have done it for decades. But you, your team, as is presently constituted, has given them games. Talk to us about the makeup of your team. Your undergraduate team is made up primarily of younger guys, generally in in the under twenty age bracket. Exactly. Yep. We have, uh, you know, the makeup of our team is is very similar to the makeup of most college teams in that, you know, we have, we're predominantly uh, an American team. We have, we do have three foreigners on our, we have 20 undergrads right now that are eligible, um, you know, but when we have the cross section of kids that have played a lot in high school, we had the, the kid that played nothing but football in high school and is trying to figure out the game, you know, we, we have the same challenges as most other collegiate programs. Um, you know, but right now the, the nucleus of our team is obviously, you know, freshmen, sophomores, and there's a couple of juniors in there, um, which, you know, this initiative started about three years ago when they knew they eventually wanted to grow into an undergraduate program, and they started uh, recruiting more undergrads versus just graduate school students. So um, we have a young team. It's really young. I'm really excited about the group that we're starting to assemble to bring in next year, and, you know, I'm, I'm excited to really just offer a daily training environment to our elite high school athletes that, you know, they can come in and they know that they're going to get the type of environment that will allow them to be able to develop um, to the best of their ability while at the same time, you know, holding them accountable to a, an academic structure and, and a, you know, a disciplined regimen that will make them graduate better people because they were student athletes in our program. Well, Dan, that's, that sounds like a, it's a huge undertaking. We definitely wish you all the luck in the world at that. The other hat that you wear for USA Rugby is that you are the skills coach of the United States Eagles. And and that essentially means you coach the contact area from the offensive side of the ball. And you have a camp coming up Easter weekend with all the domestic-based players who were selected into the Eagle pool. And you'll have a, a block of time that you'll be given to do your uh, to do your work in the contact area. You and I have discussed offline the fact that when people use the score to try technique, and they and and they go into the contact area believing in that technique that that um, Todd Clever showed from South Africa, that the ball is quick, that the players have to get on side, and that we have a, a very good recycle. And that's when we really that's when we really are able to use our ball in second phase. When guys go in and kind of buckle down and and kind of hit in and buckle and just go down sideways, that's when the ball gets all slowed up, and that's when we're having a lot of problems. And that's where the referee issues come in, and and that's where that's where a lot of the slow ball comes from. Uh, talk us through what you hope to accomplish from a. Uh, from a coaching standpoint in the in the camp and if you could talk us through some of the benefits of the score to try technique because the clear out is the clear out let's but the actual placement of the ball is just as critical as the clear out and we probably don't look at it as closely as we should as coaches yeah 
You know, I think uh, ball placement is key. You know, your job, I, I, one of the things that I, I try to stress all the time, and I'm going to kind of answer your question in reverse, but, you know, the last aspect of playing a ball away is the ball placement. You know, we need, we need to go into contact. We need to have control of our body and all those aspects that go into um, getting to ground effectively and efficiency. But your job as the ball carrier isn't over until you watch the nine, you know, that ball away. Just because there's a, a fight that's going on above you or anything like that, you have to keep working on ball placement and pressing that ball back and putting it in a situation um, where the nine can play it. And I think sometimes we forget that aspect as the ball carrier. Um, you know, but there's different ball placements. We could talk 20 minutes about just ball placements. So there's different ball placements depending on the type of situation you're in. But to, to kind of go back to the score the try technique, uh, you know, before it was, it was scoring the try technique was getting the ball carrier past the initial tackler and, and allowing the support player or the clear out man to come and uh, have just a little bit more time to clear out that first tackler or that first threat. You know, now it, because of the way that the, the law is being interpreted and applied where the initial tackler even has to get back behind the, the furthest, most penetrated part of the barrier, if you get another meter forward because you score the try and lurch forward, you know, you've essentially made that tackler have to get back a full meter as well. Um, so that really gives you an advantage and, and lets the ball be recycled just as much. I mean, from, from, from the way we gather it, not only do you have to get back, you have to get back and completely release and, and show that you released and all those things that make it much more difficult for the ball carrier. So, you know, really scoring the try and getting past that initial tackler is very important. Um, to, to speak to what we hope to accomplish this week uh, in the upcoming national team camp, you know, I think it, first off, it's a, it's a domestic camp. So we have all of our domestic players. And I think that's one of the things that you'll see year in and year out that has the most volatility within the U.S. setup. Um, you know, we, we pretty much know what we're going to get for the most part with the professionals that are playing overseas. Um, you know, what we don't know sometimes is what we're going to get about the new up-and-coming young players or, or the crossover athletes that might have found the sport now um, and are domestic-based. Uh, you know, so it's really the first chance we can get to bring in some of these guys um, and kind of hardwire them to the philosophies and the techniques and the things that, that we're putting in place as a, a national team program so that when we do assemble you know, later – in May, we have to assemble again, and then we'll assemble for the church that we don't have to go back to ground zero and, uh, you know, reteach a lot of those techniques and those things that the guys playing overseas and that we're here throughout last year all know and all see. So, I, I was talking more about what are you specifically as the skills coach in the contact area? What, 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 how much time are you going to have in, in your blocks of time and – what are you going to do with the players and what are you hoping to get out of that? I understand oh, I, the goal of the whole team. I want to know what the goal of Dan Payne as the skills coach is. Yeah. I, I mean, within a two week camp or two day camp, sorry, it's kind of just a microcosm of what the, what the goal is for the whole team. Um, but you know, we'll work specifically on a lot of, a lot of scoring the try, a lot of ball into contact. You know, there's, there's two real situations where, 
One is where you you're going into contact and you find the the seam, call it, and you you can really get forward more in a stronger position. And the other one will, will be where, where you haven't found that seam and you're more you're more at the mercy of either a positive tackle by the defense or or a you know a standstill um, as the ball carrier. And how do you react and what what type of techniques and reactions do we want there first? Um, you know, and my my initial goal for this coming coming weekend will be, you know, we'll work back from that point. You've got to control the initial contact or identify what type of contact um, you've gone into first before you can expect the other things to, to fall into place. But hopefully we can build upon them fairly quickly. And, and that's where we'll go into the techniques with, you know, the clear out, you know, and then we'll go into the, to the next person coming over the top, forming that firewall. And, and it'll always come back to the guy at the that went into contact and what type of ball placement he does. So um, there'll be a lot of technical work. We'll, 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 we'll teach a lot, we'll show a lot, and then we'll stress it a little bit and see how far we can either progress or what we have to go back and read based on how we perform once we put the guys under pressure to see how they react. How much work are you going to do on footwork so that you're able to find the seam? Because a lot of times people do look for the T-bone and don't look for the seam. How you gonna how you wanna address players like that? There are gonna be players who look for contact and and don't look for seams. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, I think that's one of the things that in uh especially as a lot of these these guys move up in levels, they'll see, you know, you might be able to T bone and, and win that contest a lot of times at, at the lower levels, but as you get higher you've gotta be more technical and you've gotta be more efficient in the ways you go into contact. So um, you know, some of them will show techniques and will stress the importance of them. And um, some some players will grasp it quicker than others. And some will have to, you know, fail through trial and error and and realize that they can't at the next level, or else they're going to end up backwards. Um, you know, but but when you do that and you see how somebody adjusts to the the coaching and the instruction you give, then you're really starting to kind of get an evaluation of what type of player you're dealing with, what type of athlete you're dealing with. And you can really tell outside of athleticism and all the things that we know about players coming into these camps, what you really grasp in a short amount of time is how coachable is somebody. How much can they develop? How much can they digest what you've told, showed them and then you know, implement it in, in a competitive situation? And, and those are the things that people, you know, you leave these camps with finding out how smart somebody is, how coachable they are, you know, what what sort of aggression they have, what sort of work rate they have, you, you know, guarantee you we'll see after 48 hours, um, you know, you can tell that some guys just aren't engaged and really won't be able to get there, and, and you'll see the opposite as well. You'll see some guys that you know you can work with because, you know, through a wall regardless of what it looks like. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll find out just about people from that standpoint as much as we will, you know, teaching them actual techniques. If you could talk us through, this would be the last thing we talk about, is if you could talk us through uh, a progression that you would do with with players. Say, you know, you, you're going to go from you're going to go from ball and contact, starting with ball and contact, and take us through. Just take us through a, a full ruck, clear out combat firewall. Sure. And just and how you build it, and then and and that kind of and obviously. 
we can't go through every single type of just do a straight clear out where the guy's doing a straight clear no total roll no forklift no just a straight clear yeah well you know i think it all starts it starts with the the second man understanding what type of contact the ball carrier has gone into and does it look like he's he's in a strong situation a strong position or is he you know in a weak and vulnerable position um you know and that's that's it's either the very first step or the furthest, the, the, the fourth or fifth step in that are you needed at that, at that breakdown. Um, but before we even get to that point, you know, it all starts with, with finding a seam or, or getting your footwork correct to be able to try to find a seam. Um, you know, and we'll do that a lot of one-on-ones. We'll, we'll have, you know, a ball carrier and either a person in a tackle suit or with a hit shield, and you just work at, at trying to do that in a, in a pretty controlled environment. And then you gradually will build up to where, um, somebody doesn't know if they're going to get some space to put a move on or they're going to get rushed and, and have to be in a immediate contact, you know, sort of situation. Um, if you have space, you should always be able to try to find a seam for the most part. But sometimes based on the type of ball you get, um, you're, you're going to have to take contact and you're going to have to understand how to adjust to that contact. Um, so, you know, that just nailing down that point sometimes can take a full set depending on how the guys react, um, you know, and then we can spend a full session just on clear-out technique and understanding what type of clear-out technique. But if it's just the, the leg lift or the, the straight clear-out, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll build people up um, in a situation where after we have all the techniques, we actually use a rucking net. And if you're familiar with what a rucking net is, um, it'll make a lot of sense. If not, do you want me to try to kind of paint the picture of what it is, or it, it's just it's something that that goes over the top, um, has four legs, and it goes over the the top of of uh, the attacking players to make sure their body height stays low. And we that rucking net, you know, in every single session, to make sure that our body height is right as we approach the net or as we approach the contact area. Um, and after probably 30 minutes on Saturday. Every single contact session we do will have the rucky net in it because if there's one thing that at least, you know, I can only speak for having to work with Americans um, is that, you know, we get too high in a lot of situations around the field. And especially at the breakdown and the t- tackle contest, we'll stress body height, body height, body height. And, uh, you know, that's, that's probably what we'll build up into the most this weekend is to try to work on the initial contact and initial clear out, but it'll all based on trying to hardwire the importance of body height. Don't worry about that, Dan, because the former Wallaby coach, uh, <laughs> Dave Brockoff, a legend of the game, rocks up to the airport to see the Wallabies every time they come home. And the first thing he says is body height, body height. Yeah. So there's another technique for you. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, Dan, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Bruce, uh, I think we've pretty much covered everything with uh, your uh, rival at life. Yeah, actually, there's um, Dan is... Dan is actually coming up to New York to play New York Athletic Club on May 1st. And in, I think it's like 4 in the afternoon or something at the New York Athletic Club field. And Dan is, uh, has done me a very solid favor of starting the game a little bit later because I have my daughter's first communion that day. Then I, <laughs> then I have my 25th high school reunion that night. So it's just... It's going to be uh, it's definitely going to be a bit of a whirlwind. And on top of that, I'm, I'm going to go 
going to go down and coach the U.S. Women's Eagles on the Friday in, in New Jersey the day before in a, in a scrum session. So that should, be, uh, that should be interesting. I'm not used to coaching women, and women are not used to listening to me. Mm. So that should be funny. So we've heard. <laughs> and, uh, Dan, you're going to go all the way and help Bruce out by losing? <laughs> uh, well, I wasn't even really aware that we had moved the, the kickoff time. Oh, there you I go. Like now. <laughs> I think he's put the pressure on. You can't go back. No, no, we have, Dan. We, we, we talked about it. I think that uh, yeah, no, Dan's plans. We'll, hey, we'll, uh, you know, that we're, we'll be in for all we can handle. We're looking forward to all of our games coming up. You know, we have Boston next week, and we're focusing on that. And, you know, we'll, we'll uh, eventually get to – be able to go up and close the season out up in in New York, and you know they're one of the top programs year in and year out in the in the competition. So it'll be a a big ask. We're looking forward to it. Uh, and uh, Bruce, can I ask you? I know you did your uh, your knee injury earlier yeah. the season. Are you still getting around on crutches? No, I'm actually I'm actually walking right now, but I am. Uh, it hurts, and. I was talking to the doctor. Bottom line is I, I, I can't go get surgery as fat as I am. I have to lose weight. So um, I figure I got to I gotta lose – I probably got to lose 40, maybe 50 pounds and then, then get surgery then because I'll have – my base of strength in my legs is all right as far as that goes, but it's just I'm carrying so much weight in my gut that I can't, I can't really have the surgery. So, I mean, I can, but – you know, six months of rehabilitation with a giant belly isn't going to help things. And so my goal is to start training after Easter because Easter is one of my favorite holidays as it is based around chocolate, which is one of my favorite food products. <laughs> so when I am, uh, when I'm so done with one Easter, last lash, one last lash. Yeah. It's yeah. This is basically, you know, I'm a chocoholic. It's basically like St. Patty's day for an alcoholic. <laughs> I need to have my, I need to have my day, of um I need that my day of, of chocolate. But it should be yeah, hopefully I get my um uh, hopefully I get my knee fixed up and, and that'll be and that'll be good. But we'll see. I don't I don't know when I, I don't know when I'm gonna do it. It, it. it but it does hurt like an SOB, that's for sure. And I'm getting sick and tired of it. And uh so Dan, good luck against Boston. They're actually a pretty good team, which which you've seen by the videos and, and they and, and you've also experienced it firsthand. So I think that I think that'll be an enjoyable game next week. Uh, Super League's off for Easter with the exception of Pack and Charlotte. And that's gonna be that's gonna be a massive game for both teams, especially for Charlotte at this point. And um, so we'll see how that goes. And uh, well and good luck to all the college teams in the Sweet Sixteen. Happy Easter. And we'd like everybody to pray for Mike Jones. And and if you could get to the to the to the Jonesy Jonesy's website on Facebook, you'll be able to find a way to donate to the Michael Jones Special Needs Trust, Michael Jones Special Needs Trust, through the Albany Knickerbockers Rugby Club, who's his who's his home rugby club, and it's definitely a worthwhile cause. And and we hate to see people um, people in rugby who have who have fallen. And 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 been debilitated like that. So, and and there's been a few, there's been a few. And I was actually just at the, I was just at the house of my friend Tommy Regan, who had the same injury 20 years ago. And there was a bunch of guys that he went to college with and played rugby with in college. And uh, you know, it was it was nice. And they were talking about stuff. I said, you know what, man, it doesn't matter if you won or lost or anything. 20 years later. 
you guys are still hanging out together and telling stories and having a great time and and appreciating each other as people. And I think that's what rugby is and that's what rugby's all about. There are very few athletes who are going to be able to experience an international game or a World Cup, but the experiences that you get and the friendships that you make and and the people that you meet along the way, even to international players, I think is more important than what what they may have done at the international stage. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Sorry, uh, Dan, you had you want to chime in? Uh, I, w- I was just going to say, kind of segue into that, Bruce. Um, you know, it's pretty amazing. One of the the best aspects of our game is the camaraderie and the friendship, and uh, we just, you know, we we were actually specifically involved. We were down there watching as that unfortunate event occurred. Um, but I just received an email earlier this afternoon where, where our group has actually together and, and raised another $12,000 that we'll be sending a check to that um, Fantastic. Uh, Mike Jones Foundation afternoon. So I would encourage everybody. And that was just because of a lot of people collectively gave a small amount in some instances. But we pulled together as a community and were able to, to do a little bit to help out. You know, obviously it's a massive of endeavor but you know if we all do a little bit we can help uh and uh, on the side oh bruce i'll just whack a little um link on the sidebar so it's always there so you don't have to yeah. go trawling through the uh the stories all right uh one final word bruce and then we'll wrap it up well as dan said if everybody could could look and do a little bit of something and i know times are very difficult if everybody could do a little something whether it's twenty five dollars ten dollars a hundred dollars a thousand dollars whatever whatever you could afford to to help mike that would be great i mean it it is the easter season passover season and what you know whatever uh spring festival you celebrate um this is this is an this is something where we all have to kind of band together and 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 the camaraderie of rugby that was one of the things that jonesy actually really epitomized i I mean he was well loved because he respected the camaraderie of rugby and on top of the fact he was an excellent rugby player and he took the rugby part of it very seriously but he also took the friendship part of it very seriously and i think that's why he's so well loved and 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 so well known throughout the east coast and now throughout the country but um if you can do something it would be greatly appreciated all right well said bruce dan payne from life university and of course uh, skills coach with the usa eagles thanks for joining us good luck over the next couple of weeks at super league and um have a good time in camp thanks for joining us all right thanks for having me guys and bruce my partner in crime get better soon mate and i'll speak to you next week all right my brother i'll talk to you